Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts. Himalaya was nice enough to reach out and make me an editor's choice, so now they're a sponsor. Check them out at Himalaya.com or in the App Store. I'm interviewing Michelle Philgate today, who's the editor of the anthology, What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, 15 Writers Break the Silence, which was based on her essay on long reads. A contributing editor at Literary Hub, Michelle has published her work in the Los Angeles Times, the Boston Globe, the Paris Review, Tin House, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, and numerous other publications. A former board member of the National Book Critics Circle and a graduate of the University of New Hampshire, Michelle is currently an MFA student at NYU. She was named one of the 100 most influential people in Brooklyn culture. Welcome, Michelle, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So can you please tell listeners what inspired you to write the essay on which the anthology you wrote was based and how it came to be a book? Yeah, so I started writing this essay when I was an undergraduate at the University of New Hampshire well over a decade ago. And when I first started writing the essay, it wasn't long after I had moved out of my mom and stepfather's house. And the essay really came at that point from a place of anger and confusion, trying to write about the fact that my stepfather had abused me. But what it took me many years of therapy and finding my voice as a writer to realize is that this was an essay about my relationship with my mother and the fracture that this abuse had caused in our relationship. And I didn't know that when I first started. When I first started, it was more about trying to get the events on the page and figure out what I had just been through. So I have never spent so long on a single piece of writing before, but I think I needed to have those years to sort out what had happened and to figure out what the real story was here. In the end, the essay is really about a daughter longing for a stronger and better relationship with her mother. So the essay was published by Long Reads in October of 2017, right after the Weinstein story and Me Too movement took off. It wasn't originally supposed to be published then, actually. My editor at Long Reads, Siri Bottom, had slated it for around Thanksgiving since people who have to go home for Thanksgiving who might have complicated relationships with their family members could read it then and possibly relate. But as soon as this news story broke, she was like, nope, we're moving this up. And when it came out, I didn't expect it to have the impact that it had. But a lot of my favorite writers like Anne Lamont, Rebecca Solnit, Lydia Yuknovich shared it on their social media and it went viral that way. And I heard from so many people who related not just to the topic of my essay, but also to the idea of the title of the essay alone, which was what my mother and I don't talk about. And so I'll forever be grateful to my editor at Long Read, Sari, for first telling me when I first submitted this essay with the title Lacuna, which I thought was a beautiful title. No one knows what that means and no one will click on that. So I came up with a a bunch of different titles and we ultimately went with this one. And so many people, it became apparent right away. So many people were like, I have something I don't talk about with my mom. And it just made absolute sense to turn this into an anthology with different writers writing about it. And 
it was important to me from the outset that I wanted it to be a diverse collection, not just of the writers themselves, but diversity in the types of relationships between mothers and children. So some of the people in the book are really close with their moms. Some might be estranged or their mothers are no longer alive. But everyone, what's fascinating to me is the the threads that connect all of these different stories together, how you see some of these stories overlapping and speaking to each other. Well, the end result was really powerful. Although I, to be honest, I left wanting to know more about your story. I mean, I felt like it was a beautiful essay, but I was like, why is this not just a memoir of your story? Did you think about doing that? I did, actually. And it's possible I will write my own memoir for sure. But for me, I felt like it was really important. The the subtitle of this book is 15 Writers Break the Silence. And for me, it felt like it's much easier to break silence as a community rather than alone on a stage. And so I, from the outset, I saw this as a group project because I think there's a power in the collective. And I wanted to represent a wide array of stories of people's experiences and backgrounds. And so that was always, for me, the vision for this particular book. But I definitely, I mean, it's my first book, and I didn't picture an anthology as my first book, but it actually makes sense because I've been doing this kind of work for years. Like I, I ran events at indie bookstores for many years, both in Manhattan and Brooklyn and starting out in New Hampshire. And I was on the board of the National Book Critics Circle. I have done a ton of author interviews and book reviews, and I have my own literary series here in Brooklyn called Red Ink, where I feature different women who are writing in all different genres. And the whole purpose of that literary series is is focusing on women writers past and present. And I pick a particular topic that we talk about. So it's kind of like a salon style event. Um, so I've, I've, I've been doing like this literary community work for quite a long time now. And so it felt like a natural extension of what I've already been doing. But yeah, I mean, well, I would love to write a memoir at some point too. <laughs> you are like a younger version of me, except yeah. more, except more accomplished. <laughs> no. no, it's true. I like, I love doing all that stuff too. That's so fun. Which indie bookstores did you work for? So I started out at River Run Bookstore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in college. Um, actually, when I first started writing this essay, I was working there at the time. Um, and then I, my first job out of college was working for the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric. And I quit that after a year to move back to New Hampshire and start an event series at at that bookstore and focus on my writing career. So I did that for a while. And then I moved to New York City to run events at McNally Jackson in Soho. And after that, I worked at Community Bookstore in Park Slope for uh, a while running their events. So it's really fun. I I feel like once a bookseller, always a bookseller. That's um, like where my heart is, is in indie bookselling. So yeah. 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 So for me, it was really fun because one of my jobs as an events coordinator was to curate and to put different voices together. And so I felt like I was doing that with this book as well. So cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to talk after this. Maybe there's some way we can work together because I have lots of events and I love to bring authors together and help with form a community and that whole thing. So maybe there's some way to collaborate or something. But anyway, I won't take time away from your podcast. (laughs) So aside from your essay, which of the other essays do you feel like you developed a really close attachment to? And how did you pick the 15 authors that you included? 
So it would be hard for me to choose just one essay that I formed the closest attachment to because that's like choosing your favorite children. (laughs) I love all of these pieces um, in different ways. And for me, like that was the, the most interesting part of the puzzle was trying to pick essays that were different enough, but also spoke to each other and pick different writers who I admire. And also it was a challenge because certain, you know, as, as is the case in any anthology, um, some, some pieces that were assigned didn't end up working out um, or people weren't ready to write about their mothers, even though they thought they were, <laughs> because it turns out it's actually very difficult to write about complicated relationships, right? And even if you're very close with your mom, it can be complicated. So, but from the get-go, I had people in mind who I wanted to reach out to. So Leslie Jameson, for instance, who wrote this fantastic piece about uh, trying to understand who her mother was before her mom became her mom by reading the unpublished manuscript by her mom's first husband that's based on their marriage, a novel that he wrote based on their marriage. And so I had reached out to her in the very beginning. And she said, you know, I'm really close with my mom. I'm not sure what I'll write about, but I thought that was fascinating. And I said, Leslie, you can write about anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a fan of her essays. I think she's one of our best essayists. So um, I gave her the green light to to work on whatever she wanted to work on and come back to me. And, And that's what she came back to me with. And it was amazing. So right from the start, I knew I wanted her in the book. And, you know, Alexander Chi, who you mentioned, Mm -hmm. he's he's one of my favorite writers as well. And then there were only a few um, essays in the book that had been previously published. I mostly, I, for the most part, I really wanted them to be original pieces that had not been published before. But there were two essays that I had read that I said, like, I need these in the book. And that was Brandon Taylor's All About My Mother that Literary Hub published, where he writes about having an abusive mother. And he writes about her after she passes away with such tenderness, despite the really difficult relationship they had. And it's just one of the most beautiful essays I've ever read. So I had to include that. And then the other one that had already been published was Andre Asaman, the author of Call Me By Your Name, which is such an amazing book. He wrote this beautiful essay for The New Yorker about growing up with a deaf mother. So I thought that fit the theme of this book as well. But everyone else, I reached out to writers I love and asked them if they wanted to write about their moms. And that's how this book ended up coming together. And I'm really, I really, I, it is hard. I, I can't say that I have a particular attachment to just one essay because I'm, I really am. I'm not just saying this because I'm the editor of the book. I'm, I'm just really like astonished by all of these writers in this collection. They all bring so much to the table. I agree. It was such an amazing, you did an amazing job of collecting different viewpoints and essays. And as you mentioned, yeah, Alexander Chu's essay, Xanadu. I mean, I keep thinking about it. It was so good. And I mean, they're all so good, but yes. anyway. So now I have a question about anthologies in general. So when you decide to write, did you sell the anthology idea to a publisher and then Mm -hmm. go recruit the authors or did you have to have the other authors on board first? So you have to put a proposal together. And what really helped me sell this book right away was that I did have some big names already signed up to contribute. So people like Leslie Jameson and Alexander Chi, that really, you know, helps when you can say you already have a commitment from certain writers who are already in it. Yeah. So, but you know, the, the final contributor list changed from the proposal to the, the finished book. So, and I think that most publishers understand that. So 
But yeah, I, I basically, it was a very short proposal. It was basically a letter talking about the, the essay itself, you know, and then my essay and, um, talking about all the different writers I wanted to approach and those who had already committed to doing it. So, wow. So let's go back to your essay a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. First of all, in your essay, you say that when you were at college, that Joe Beard's essay collection, The Boys of My Youth, showed you that a personal essay can really be a place where a writer, I'm quoting here, can lay claim for control over her own story. And you say, at the time, I was full of anger toward my abusive stepfather, haunted by memories that were all too recent. He loomed so large in my house that I wanted to disappear until finally I did. So talk to me a little bit more about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So Joanne Beard is one of my favorite authors. And I actually was fortunate enough to get to study with her at the Tin House Summer Workshop several years ago. And I actually workshopped this essay in that workshop. And so she was instrumental in helping me come up with the final like central image for my story. Because one of the things that she taught me in that workshop was that there's a darkness and a light to every person that you're writing about, to each person. And that really blew open the whole essay for me because you don't want to make someone into some cartoon villain, right? We're all human, no matter like what a person has done. So when I thought about that, I ended up coming up with this central image in my essay of a jewelry box that my stepfather had made for me. And and that's where I learned how to keep secrets inside, right? And so I'm so sorry, I just forgot the question. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I, that's, I just really wanted to hear more. I was just quoting about one scene with your stepfather and how you wanted to disappear until finally I did. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, well, in that part, I'm talking about the effects of abuse and how you you don't want to be in a situation like that, right? And I finally got out of that house, but that was not uh, disappearing at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I kind of lost who I was for a while. I hid myself in that jewelry box too, in, in, in many ways. You know, I it took a long time to kind of unpack that experience and what had happened to me and to come to terms with even calling it abuse. Because I think... One of the things that I'm really sensitive about that it's I've it's taken many years to come to terms with is abuse can happen in all forms, right? And I think verbal abuse, I mean, there was some sexual abuse from my stepfather as well, like him him touching me inappropriately, grabbing me. But the verbal abuse was so incredibly damaging as well. And I don't think we talk about that as much in, in our society. But this constant barrage of verbal abuse I got, I think it took me a long time to admit that's abuse, you know, and I kind of lost myself for a while. So I think that writing this essay was a way to come kind of reclaim who I am. And like I said, with like laying claim to your own story, like Joanne Beer does, I feel like that's what we do as writers. Anyone who's writing about their own life, it is, there's a power to that. There is a power to writing your truth and to being able to articulate it and and to stare it in the face and look at it instead of brushing it away or, you know, disappearing. (laughs) I am so sorry that this happened to you in your life. I mean, I am just so sorry. It's it breaks my heart. It it really does to you, to many other people. It's happened to. It's just so unspeakably awful. And the fact that you're brave enough to write about it and come forward and give voice to people who might otherwise not be able to articulate it, who aren't as brilliant as you, who aren't as you know great at writing. Even I mean, it's a gift that you you gave 
so many people. So Thank anyway, you. and I can tell it's just starting, you know, I can really tell, but I'm sorry. I mean, for what it's worth, I'm, I'm just so sorry it happened to you. Sorry. Thank you. Well, I, I teach creative nonfiction and I have for many years. And one of the things I teach my students is to write about the things that scare them, that they're afraid to articulate. And I myself was not doing that for so long. I was running away from writing the truth of this story. So I finally had to follow my own advice. And that was what led to the the finished draft of this. But it's hard, right? But I'm so glad that we are finally at a point where people are breaking the silence about about this kind of thing because it's really scary right it's yeah. it's it's so many women in particular but men too as you know from this book deal with this so at the end of your introduction because i want to hear about the effects that this had in your own family and now that it's out there in the world you said sometimes i imagine what it would be like to give this book to my mother to present it to her as a precious gift over a meal that i've cooked for her to say here is everything that keeps us from really talking here is my heart here are my words I wrote this for you. Wow. So did you actually come to that moment and give it her the book? Like, tell me what happened. Yeah. So my mom, it's complicated. My mom was not happy with this essay or this book. And I did write this essay and put this collection together for her because ultimately my essay is is about longing for a better relationship. And a lot of people have told me, you know, your essay doesn't come across as mean-spirited toward your mother or vindictive. There's love there on the page. There's a lot of love. And I'm really glad when I hear that from people, from, you know, even from strangers who have, who've never met my mom, that, that makes me feel really good because I did write it with that in mind. There is, to me, this is written for my mom because we can't seem to have a conversation in real life where we can break through. You know, there's a lot of denial there. And when there's denial, it's impossible to have a person listens, really listens. So this was the only way I knew how to communicate with her. That said, it's been complicated and difficult. I always tell my students when they ask me about what they should do if they want to publish something about someone they love and they're worried about hurting them, that they really do have to think about that, about the effect it will have. For me, in my particular case, I felt like there was more damage being done not telling this story than telling this story. And I felt like ultimately I reminded myself of what I would have needed to read when I was that girl in that in that house. And I thought about all the girls out there who might be in a similar situation and might need to read this this essay. And that was what gave me the willpower to go forward with this and and publish it. But things are really hard. My book is dedicated to my two grandmothers because they've been like mothers to me. And a few weeks ago, my one of my grandmothers, who really has been a mother to me, passed away. Oh, and no. it's it's <sighs> yeah, it's been really hard. I'm gonna try not to cry talking oh, about I'm this so because sorry. it's just I'm Still really grieving. But my mom came to this. It was was actually my dad's mom. And my parents have been divorced for many years. But my mom came to the, the funeral service. And so I saw her for the first time since the book has come out. And we hugged each other and told each other that we love each other. So that felt like a really powerful moment. And she knew how important my grandmother was to me. And and she came to this funeral, even though we've we've been having a tough time ourselves. So that, that felt like a really important moment in my life. 
I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. I wish thank we were you. in person. I would be giving you a hug right now. I'm sorry. Oh, thank so much to so go much. through in such a short amount of time. It's like it's been a really hard year. Yeah, it's emotional. Yeah. Oh my gosh, a really really hard year. Yeah. Has there been like a silver lining? Like, do you feel even more support even from people you don't know having published this? Like, does that provide you with at least some sort of, not that there's an antidote to grief and losing someone you love, but any, does that provide a little solace in the, in the sadness? It does. In fact, I, I've heard from strangers while I've traveled the country on book tour and also via email. And some of the stories I've heard from people have just really made it all worth it. And in particular, I'm thinking of this email I got from a woman who is estranged from her daughter. And it's one of the most painful things in her life. And she read just the introduction of my book and had to send me an email as soon as she read it because she started crying because she felt like there aren't that many books out there that can help her with that. And she felt like my book can. So that email alone made this whole book worth it. And also... There's an essay in my book by Naomi Munavira, who's an incredible novelist. And she wrote this essay about growing up in a family, a Sri Lankan immigrant family, and having a mentally ill mother. And she was terrified to publish her piece and sent it to her parents before we even had galleys. And her mother wrote back the most supportive, incredible email saying that she loves her and that this essay is going to help a lot of people. And we included that as a postscript to Naomi's essay. So there's already healing that's happening. It's because of this book. And that is just astounding and incredible to me. So, and as I said, not all of these essays deal with relationships where, where it's difficult with the mom. There, there are some that are very loving as well. And so again, it was very important to me and to my editor at Simon & Schuster, we were like, we cannot have all abuse stories in this book. You know, mm-hmm. we really want to have reflect a wide prism of, of the different kinds of mother and child relationships. Wow. So when you wrote about your teenage years and the times you were sort of sitting on the ground with your back in the knobs of your dresser, and it was just such an image that like, it was, it was just, it just has stayed with me. The thought of you just sitting there with your back hurting and crying and the whole thing. If you could go back and like walk into that room as you now and talk to yourself back then, not to do like a therapy exercise with you or anything, but what would you, (laughs) what would you say to yourself then? Is there anything you could have said to make it any easier to get through? Is there any advice you'd want to give yourself back then or just? I would tell myself to keep writing because words have always been what have saved me, both my own words, but other people's words as well. I mean, I talk about how books were really what saved me during that time and they continue to be what my solace and and what I turn to in all different times in my life. Like right now, because of losing my grandmother, I've been reading a lot of poetry and I've found a lot of solace in that in the last couple of weeks when I haven't really known how to process my grief. And I know that I am going to be writing about my grandmother. Like I feel it building up inside of me. Um, and I know that that will help me navigate my grief as well. So I would tell that young self that what I was doing then is exactly what I need to be doing, which is to, to, to write and to try to make sense of what's happening around me through words. And that that's always going to be what grounds me and what gives me solace. <laughs> oh, 
What are you going to do with all of this sort of talent and ideas? And (laughs) what are you going to do next? What's your plan? So what's your, what's your day-to-day life like? Um, so I'm currently in grad school actually at NYU getting my MFA in fiction because I want to write both. Um, so I'm, I've been working on short stories over the past year and, um, I'm really excited about that. So that I, I'm continuing to focus on my fiction, but I'm also working on more essays and we'll see whether my first solo book is nonfiction or fiction. I want to write both. So the, the plan is to just continue uh, writing and continue teaching. I teach for a lot of different places. I teach for the Sackett Street Writers Workshop, um, where I teach memoir and personal essay writing. I teach a class for Catapult online called Building a Writing Career on the Internet, which is a class I love to teach because when I first started out as a writer, I felt like there wasn't a, a, like one place where I could kind of learn the tools I needed to navigate, to learn how to be a freelance writer and to understand the business side of things. So my class focuses both on the business side of things and on uh, workshopping actual writing as well. And I've taught for Stanford's continuing studies. So I've taught a personal essay class for them. And in the fall, I'm really excited. I'm going to be teaching my first undergrad class at NYU. I'm going to be teaching intro to creative writing. So you know, my grandmother who just passed away, Mimo, that's what we called her, which was actually a name she gave herself because it was an inversion of mommy. And she, she, she I just love that name, Mimo. It's, it's so original. But she was a piano teacher for most of her life. And she always talked about teaching being a sacred act. And I, I really agree with her. I feel like I'm a better writer because of my students, of what they've taught me. And I just really, I I think it's crucial to my process as a writer. So I feel like I'm following in her footsteps and that's, that's the plan. And so hopefully I can have some short stories ready to publish sometime soon. That's exciting. I know you've given so much advice already over the course of this conversation. Do you have any last parting advice for aspiring authors out there? Um, I know a lot of writers give this advice, but it's so true, which is that the way to become a better writer is to be a voracious reader. I've met a lot of people who want to write, but don't read that much. And it really depresses me because the, uh, you know, when I think about why I became a writer to begin with, it's because I'm in conversation with all of the writers who have come before me or who are writing right now and who I feel a kinship with somehow. And so I feel like if you want to write, you need to be reading constantly and you need to be curious about the world and curious about other stories and stories that take you outside of your own perspective as well, for sure. So that that would be my main piece of advice. Is And also, you know, support other writers too. I really am a big believer in being a literary citizen and what goes around comes around. So go to book independent bookstores and buy books by other writers, you know, go to attend events and go hear writers talking about their craft and how they wrote what they wrote. You know, I, I feel like before I got this MFA, I kind of had my own MFA by running events at bookstores for years and sitting through thousands of author events and hearing authors talk again and again about how they did what they did. So I think that there's, 
that is an incredible resource is being able to just go to attend a free author event and hear the writer talking about their craft. Totally. Come to my events. (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) Totally. Well, thank you so much. This has been like a super inspiring interview for me personally. I feel like you've given me so many ideas and like, you're just so inspiring. You like make people want to do great things. So anyway, thank you for that from me. (laughs) And thanks for, I'm sure you've done the same for anyone listening. So thank you. All right. Well, hopefully I'll (laughs) meet you soon in person. And thanks so much for coming on the show. I would, yes, I'd love that. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Thanks again to today's sponsor of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts, Himalaya.com. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.